Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, Grove.Church. And as you're listening along, or maybe you're reading along with us, we'd love for uh, you to send us any questions that may be coming up or things that seem a little bit confusing or you'd like some more clarity on. We try to take every uh, time and every week to answer some of those questions. So we'd love for you to send them in. How do you send them in? Glad you asked. You can do that in two ways. One, you can send us an email uh, to info at grove.church. Uh, or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. You're welcome to direct message our Facebook page where we also get those questions and we take time to answer those as well. So we'd love for you to do that today. There you go. Today we are talking about the Gospel of Matthew. My middle name. There you go. Oh, didn't know that. There you you go. did know that. I probably, like in the, in the... You just don't care about me. In the recesses of my heart, I probably did know that. Oh, that's, but I certainly, that's precious, bro. I certainly haven't thought about it in quite some time. So that's interesting. Both of our middle names are gospel authors. Yeah, but mine's better. Uh, mine's well, the first gospel. John is the... Uh, beloved gospel. The gospel that Jesus loved. So the, I think that's... The beloved I think that's ca- canonical. 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 Right. I like canonical better. Anyway, so for resources that we're using today, uh, the ESV Study Bible, Reformation Study Bible... The Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez and the New Testament in its world by N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird. So yes, there thank you, go. you, Mr. Bird. This year for our notes, I've decided just to list all the books that we use and then I bold the ones that we're using that week because it's, <laughs> it's way smart. easier than typing them out every, every week. single week. All right. So Gospel of Matthew. Let's go ahead and talk about it. I'm excited. This is the first uh, gospel we've done this year. Um, and it's always it's always good to talk about them. I guess we talked about Luke, but we talked about Luke the person. Not yeah, we didn't talk gospel. about his gospel. There you go. All right. So as far as author goes, uh, the Gospel of Matthew was almost certainly written by Matthew uh, or Levi, as he's known as well, the apostle. While it's technically anonymous, there's not much controversy about the author. Also, Matthew is the only gospel account that makes it clear that Levi... The tax collector is the same man as Matthew, the disciple. Ooh. So the, on all the stories about Matthew getting called, you know, you hear that it's Levi getting called, mm-hmm. but the gospel of Matthew is the only one that later on specifies that it's Matthew, the tax collector, saying yes. that's the same person as uh, Levi, the tax collector. And then apparently he got a he got a new name. So like Peter does, it's just not as big of a... Uh, I, don't want, I won't say it's not as big of a deal, but that's not the one I want to say. Basically, it's just... Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't get talked about as much as Peter, I suppose. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to read in between what you were trying to say, and I couldn't figure it out. So there you go. Uh, this is also something I thought was interesting. Uh, there's some substantial evidence that Matthew was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, and so basically a lot of the church fathers, that's their tradition that they're citing. Uh, we don't huh. know because we don't have any of the primary sources as I don't far know, I've as... I've never heard that. Yeah, I hadn't heard it either before I was reading up on it. So. And I went to Bible school, guys. What same, are they teaching me? Same here. Um, I want a refund. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, so the thought process is that it was written pretty early on by Matthew in either Hebrew or Aramaic, um, and then it was translated into Greek. Um, so, And that's the gospel account that we have today is yeah. the one that was used in Septuagint. So there you go. Uh, other than that, as far as date goes, um, I tend... So here's the thing. It's pretty wide because it can be anywhere from about 80, 50 to 100. So it's a pretty wide range of dates. Mm-hmm. I tend to hold that the latest it would be is 8070 because it doesn't directly address the temple being destroyed. Now the counter argument to that is people when in the passage where Jesus says that the temple he basically says behold the temple will be destroyed 
Um, people are like, well, I mean, obviously he didn't predict that. He just like, you know, they wrote that in afterwards. So if you're one of, if you're one of those people, then you wouldn't hold to, you would say that it was written after 87. Mm-hmm. I kind of take that to me that it's written before. Yeah, me too. So there you go. Um, and then according to, tr- to tradition, Matthew wrote his gospel as a final record before leaving East for missionary work and never returning. So um, essentially what that means is if it was written after 8070, Matthew at that point would have been, I mean, what is that? Probably, he probably would have been like 70 years old or so. So it's one of those things where he probably left Jerusalem on his missionary journey long before uh, that date. So that's kind of why I hold to... I mean, like early to mid sixties, I guess is a fairly conservative date. Um, I could even really be talked into um, the fifties if Ooh, you wanted me you to. You could be talking. I could that. be. Interesting. I, I, I can. And I. So to I guess to not that this is like the most interesting part of the podcast, but when it comes to my philosophy of dates, um, I don't care about giving the benefit of the doubt to make it later, if that makes sense. So if there's good evidence that was written early, I'm just going to land on it being written early. Um, Because most of the arguments for things being written later are assuming that it had to be, Hmm. if that makes sense. It's not necessarily looking at the evidence and saying like, well, if we were being really truthful about it, it's, it's kind of this effort by most modern scholars to remove the dates of the epistles and the gospels as far away from the ministry of Jesus as they can. So that's kind of just where I land on it. Uh, and then, yeah. So like I said, it was uh, uh, maybe written in Hebrew in the fifties and then translated into Greek later. Um, so mm-hmm. there you go. Possibly even by Luke, probably not, but you know, who knows? Maybe he, that's how he used it as a basis for his gospels. He got it in Hebrew, translated it into Greek and then used it as uh, for a lot of the stories in his gospel. He probably submitted well. his own paper first and got credit for it and then submitted Matthews. Yeah, there you go. Or it could be Mark so that he used that as well or Q. So these are things that oh. you don't care about. <laughs> oh, sneaky, sneaky disciples. <laughs> All right. Anyway, as far as themes go, uh, Matthew is by far the most Jewish of the gospels. Um, and therefore it's a logical book to put at the front of the New Testament. Um, it acts as a great bridge between these two sections of scripture. So mm. basically it, you know, it's, it's always hard with the old and the new Testament because there's, it just says like for 400 years, there wasn't really much going on as far as like revelation from God, which in one sense is true, but in another sense, um, there's a lot that happened between, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of it's Matthew. True. Um, and so it's nice to have at least one of the gospels speaking specifically to a Jewish audience at the time, because it helps get us, it helps give us a little bit more of an understanding of, uh, what was going on because yeah. it fills in some blanks that we otherwise wouldn't have filled in. Yeah. And I think it's, it's confusing for people too, because you just get, um, Malachi ends and you have the, the people of Israel coming back into Jerusalem, the temple is rebuilt, all this great stuff is happening. And the gospels come and you're just like, wait, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Where, <laughs> yeah, right? where did this come from? And so I, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind there too. Um, number one, 400 years is a long time. Uh, like the U.S. has been around for 200 and uh, was 20 months. So 250 years or so. Yeah. Um, so that's, which to us feels like a long time. Like when we talk about, you know, George Washington and John Adams and all these people, we think of people who lived a long time ago. And that's about a little bit over half the time that mm-hmm. the time period that this is. So there is definitely enough time for different cultures um, and different religious ideas to uh, arise. But yeah, it's also helpful to know of the political things that were happening because it gives us a better understanding of A, who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, but B, why was Jesus even crucified? Yeah. Um, so I guess I wasn't playing on this, but to give like a real quick download. download um, 
the Pharisees were actually, interestingly, because we don't call them this, this is not how we use the word today, um, but they're very much the religious group of the people. And so most of the uh, most of the people of Israel looked up to the Pharisees, and their whole idea was basically that we are following the law to the letter. In fact, we're following the law so much, we're even going to follow it like to to the extremes. Um, and they had the idea of the Messiah. They had this also idea of um, life after death. All these different things were very Pharisaical ideas. The Sadducees were much more um, secular than the Pharisees were. And they were also much more in power. And so you see kind of with the actions of the Sadducees that their their true goal is to hold on to power and to create um, a working relationship between Rome and Israel, whereas the Pharisees' goal really is to maintain Jewish identity. Um, and a lot of this comes up because in between the intertestamental period, um, I forgot which king it was or which uh, governor of Greece was over Israel at the time, but he goes into the temple and he wants to offer a pig as a sacrifice to Zeus. So number one, he's offering an unclean animal, which is uh, not something the Jews would have taken lightly. And then also he's offering it to Zeus and so not, not to Yahweh. And so all this is happening. There's a big rebellion. Um, and for, I think like 70 years, uh, Israel actually is an independent nation again for a little bit, and then it gets reconquered again. And then that's where you kind of see this big split happen between the two parties. So there you go. And it's important to know because we're going to talk about that later. So in case you think I just went off on a wild tangent for no reason. No, he went off on a wild tangent. For no reason. For, just for fun. Just ease for fun. This is how Evan and I talk about the Bible all the time. So, And then uh, as far as like another theme of Matthews, he's very conscious of the idea uh, that Jesus is king. So that's a, that's a big thing that yeah. we see all throughout the gospel. Um, and then as far as our outline goes that we'll be using today, we took it from the uh, Towns and Gutierrez book, uh, but they split it up into three sections, which I think is really helpful. So the first part is called The Person of the King, and that's chapter 1 through uh, chapter 4, verse 16. The Proclamation of the King is chapter 4, verse 17 through chapter 16, verse 20. And then The Passion and the Authority of the King, which is chapter 16, 21 through uh 28 verse 20. So yep. there you go. That's all we're going to, that's all we'll be breaking it down today. Yeah. Um, as always, because, you know, Matthew is a really big book. It's hard to, you can't really dig in too deep. Yeah, it's going to be a very broad stroke overview, just so you guys know. Yep. A survey in the, uh, in the true sense of the word. Yes. Um, but anyway, so the passion or sorry, the person of the King. So this section tells us who Jesus is. And it also tells us a little bit about the beginning of his ministry. And we get some of the more famous passages in Matthew in this section. Uh, number one, we get the genealogy, which is probably not the most famous section <laughs> of Matthew. No, uh, I used to, I remember when I read, I'd always skip over it. Uh, and then I actually heard someone do a, uh, an actual message through the genealogy and it was actually mind blowing to, to read it and actually understand it. So, yeah. And you just, you just see a lot of connections and correlations to Abraham and, yep. and the line of Christ uh, and how that connection happens. So and it's very, don't skim over it. It's very important to Matthew to show that Jesus is the rightful king mm -hmm. of Israel as well, which is kind of an interesting thing to say because most yeah. of the other gospels aren't that concerned with it. Um, but yeah, like Aaron alluded to, it starts with Abraham and then it moves to David um, and then it moves basically through the kingly line into the exile and then it shows that Jesus is in the line of the kings. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that Jesus is any Jew. He's of the tribe of Judah. And it's not just that Jesus is any member of the tribe of Judah. He's a member of the kingly tribe of Judah, which is to say one of David's direct yep. descendants. So uh, we often refer to Jesus as he is prophet, priest, and king. And so this is kind of the the validation of the, of the king part. Um, after that, 
We're told of Jesus's birth, uh, the visit of the wise men, and the family's subsequent flight to Egypt. Uh, we'll definitely talk about this more when Christmas Not an comes. actual flight like airplanes, but... That'd be cool. I know. Can you imagine? Uh, but no, the Wright brothers didn't invent the airplane. Flight in the sense of Gandalf saying, fly you fools <laughs> in Lord of the Rings. So It's been a while since we had a Lord of the Rings reference. It has. It's been, it's been too long. Anyway, so moving, uh, moving through there, uh, most of us kind of know the story, but obviously uh, it tells about Jesus' virgin birth. It mm-hmm. also shows uh, the adoration of people, not just in the Jewish faith, but these wise men from the East are kind of understanding this is a huge deal. Um, and then we also see the, uh, the real uh, jerkness, I guess we can say, of Herod the Great. Um, but he wants all of the babies who are male and of a certain age to be killed. Very reminiscent of uh, Pharaoh, who we just yep. talked about last week uh, in the Exodus. Um, so similar to Moses, who had to be hid as a baby in order to survive, uh, Jesus is also hid as a baby in order to survive. Only this time, he's not picked up by Herod's daughter and raised in that court. So he stays. Thanks, with, thankfully, yeah. that would have changed the whole story. <clears throat> it's true. He stays with Mary and Joseph. Uh, after that, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, um, which really begins kind of the official ministry of Christ in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, before this, we don't get much in the way of what he was doing. We can kind of assume that he was. Um, you know, saying things and teaching people because we get the story about when he was 12 and in the temple and stuff like that. But there's kind of this sense that his true role as Messiah kind of begins when he's baptized. Mm-hmm. And that's when he launches into um, his full-bred ministry, which is what most of the gospels are about. Yeah, um, And we get this great passage, which if Aaron, if Aaron you want to read that. Yeah, really for quick. sure, man. Matthew 3, 13 to 17 says this. Uh, it's an Evan standard version. Um, also known as the ESV, uh, says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John uh, to be baptized by him. John would be would have prevented him saying, I, needed, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, cons- then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from the heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So there you go. Um, after that, which is really just kind of like, it's one of the best pictures of the Trinity that we get in the whole of scripture. Because you true. have Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And God speaking. Yep. And God the Father speaking there. Uh, after this, Jesus goes into the desert and he faces the temptation of Satan. Uh, he fasts for 40 days and then Satan tries to tempt him with all these things, including uh, basically worldly dominion over the earth. And Jesus is like, not today, Satan. He rebukes him get with scripture, oh, takes him out. So good deal. <laughs> Uh, Doesn't take him out just yet. But <clears throat> well, yeah. Satan not. walks away having been rebuked, and exactly he wins the the verbal repartee, if yep. you will. So uh, after that, we get to the, our next section, which is called the proclamation of the king. Um, after this period, Jesus begins to call his disciples, and soon after begins one of the most famous dialogues of the gospel, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So we get the calling of Peter, Andrew, and James, and John mm-hmm. in this part, which are kind of like your your big standard call. for. Yeah, you're standard for. I always feel they're bad. The, they're the OG. I always disciples. feel bad for Andrew because he mm-hmm. like he doesn't get included sometimes. Because like, why doesn't he get to see the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John, bro. Yeah, so Andrew gets Andrew gets dropped. Three. So there's like, yeah, there's a core four, and then a core three. So what yep. are you gonna do? Anyway, I don't know why that. It's unfortunate. Came to my mind. Uh, but all of that happening, uh, af- you know, the Sermon on the Mount is really famous. We get this whole idea of... Mm-hmm. That's um, where the Beatitudes are at. Yep. This is where, you know, Jesus ups the standard, as I like to say, in regards to 
what what has been established versus what the kingdom of God is like. So. Yeah, my favorite is like it's really the parts where Jesus fully reveals what sin is because he's like you know like that's the you've heard it said statements so like mm-hmm. you know you've heard it said don't murder and everyone in the crowd is like oh yeah i do a great job i've never killed, I've never killed anyone yeah, yeah. like i'm gonna do awesome he says but i say to you if you've hated your brother then you've committed <sighs> murder in your heart and it's like oh what? yeah and he just does it with everything he does it with um you know, adultery versus lust mm-hmm. um there's one more i can't remember off the top of my head but it's kind of the or those are the only two those are the only two that i remember but i'm oh, sure there's more it might be those only two anyway so but yeah and that's what i mean by upping the standard he takes this the the standard that has been established in the religious system and worldviews and says okay you've heard this but i actually say this um he he draws it much to he, he draws it to the heart level it's not the action level behavior level it's the heart level right and then after the after the beatitudes if this was a movie um the next part would be the montage that takes up like the biggest <laughs> passage of time you know it's like after rocky decides to take the fight and then he goes to the butcher and just starts punching cows essentially that's what this part is so we see um really quick rapid fire succession uh and th- these aren't all the miracles that we see but uh, this one's a highlight yeah cleansing of the leper um healing of the centurion's servant uh bringing a girl back to life calming the storm which is also peter walking on water uh, and then the feeding of the five thousand so, which is a pretty well-known one too yeah those are some heavy some heavy hitters as far as the mu- miracles of jesus goes um, and then we also see parables. So we see the parable of the sower, yeah. which is, you know, where the uh, different seed is thrown out onto different ground. We see the parable of the the mustard seeds and also the parable of the weeds. So yeah. a lot of those Among are Among many others. There's definitely more parables that Jesus hits on. But yeah, it's just kind of the things he talks about, the things that he sets. It's it's the kingdom of God kind of picture too, where he says the kingdom of God is before you, things like that. So Exactly. Um, and then everything takes a big shift. Uh, we go, and it's, it's funny because there's still parables and there's still miracles that happen after this, but now the gospel kind of gets <clears throat> serious is the wrong word, mm-hmm. but more, um, I don't even know how to say it. Like basically the gospel writer and then Jesus is aware that the time is coming for yeah. his ministry to kind of come to an end. And so there's- It's, it's almost a fulfillment of his ministry. Like yeah. this, is, this is why Jesus came. It's, it's why more he's teaching, it's in. why he's doing- what he's doing, yeah. Rocky is still training, but now he's got the picture of Clubber Lang, Clubber Lang, Clubber, Clubber Lang, or Ivan Drago, and he's punching the the poster. I must break you. I will break you. And then afterwards, through a boxing match, Rocky uh, single handedly ends the Cold War and tensions between the United States Boom. and the Soviet Union. Boom. That's how it Good happens, work, folks. Um, and so, if I can change, you can. Anyway, all right, I'm done. Uh, so <laughs> Back we, to Jesus. So we get that. Uh, the transfiguration happens, which is what we alluded to with uh, Peter, James, and John getting mm-hmm. to be there. But not Andrew. Not Andrew. Poor Andrew. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> this is probably my favorite, one of my favorite things about the Gospels is that at this point, Jesus begins to tell them what's going to happen and the disciples don't believe him because he, he'll literally yeah. say, I'm going to be killed and die oh, you're so and funny, after three Jesus. days I'll rise again. Yeah, I kind of think... Um, I almost think that they think it's a parable that he's huh. like, like, oh, what could he, what could he mean by this? And like, he's just straight up telling them, no, this is going to happen. Um, but instead they're trying to That's find awesome. like, yeah, they're trying to find the deeper meaning. That's kind of what I, what I think is going on there. Um, but then, I mean, the disciples are also just kind of dumb. Uh, but yeah, then we get a little bit more uh, as far as what happens. The parable of the unforgiving servant, which is one of the more famous parable. I would say other than the prodigal son, it's probably the most famous parable. Um I mean, who knows? It's a very subjective thing to say, I suppose. But it's the parable of the servant who is forgiven a large amount of money. And then after that, he goes and he throws someone who owes him significantly less into debtor's yeah. prison because he's a jerk. Uh, we also get the rich young ruler 
who is the person who says like, you know, I followed the entire law all of my life. What should I do now? And Jesus tells him to sell all that he has and give it, give it to the poor. Um, and he goes away because he has great wealth. Um, I've also heard, this is like total side note, but there's um, some people think that that person is Barnabas, which I think is a cool idea. Huh. So the idea that he comes to faith a little bit later. That's interesting. So yeah, I forgot where, it's not like a ton of evidence, but there's like a little bit of tradition that says that that might be who Barnabas is. And yeah, you know, I, I like to think so, because I like to think that the rich, <laughs> I like to think that he- uh, It gives it gives a good ending to the rich young ruler story. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's just, a, otherwise it's just a downer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's very open-handed. So don't take that to be like, that's definitely what happened. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Breaking news. Oh, man. Uh, after that, we get the triumphal entry, which is Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus yep. comes in on a cult and everyone's like, Hosanna uh, in the highest, which basically just means like, save us. So funny. This this whole thing right there. Once the triumphal, <laughs> triumphal entry happens, you know, and I know you're going to it and you're going to hit the last supper and all that stuff, but it's just, it's just funny how quick the, right. everything turns. But Well, I think like there's... I think there's a couple things going on because I do think that there's a significant portion of the population that expected and wanted Jesus to be a military leader of some kind. Hmm. I also do think, um, and I had a, uh, it's funny, uh, um, a history professor, so it wasn't in Bible school, but he was a Christian, talk about how, um, how, like how many of the people in front of Pilate were people who were stirred up by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if that makes sense. Yeah. So was it truly a representation of the people of Jerusalem For sure. had all turned on him? Or was it a representation that they like called people and said, come. Yeah. Just like they this... set people up to falsely accuse right. and the accusations and like, and the other thing too is like, and this is just, I mean, there's, I'm not, I'm not convinced based upon the story that we've seen is that the same people who were shouting Hosanna in the streets and putting down palm fronds and their cloaks were the same people standing before you know, um, standing with the Pharisees, Pharisees saying, crucify him, crucify him. Right. I'm not convinced that that actually was both of the same people, but it's just, as you're reading it, it's just amazing how quick it turns. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a very hard left turn without realizing that the signal's been done, been on. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of ministry moments there too, but just to kind of, for sake of just keep, to keep moving, uh, we get the last supper, which is also a very famous passage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get Jesus' death and resurrection, um, which we have a passage of the resurrection here, uh, which I can go ahead and read here, but it says in Matthew 28 verses one through 10. Um, now after the Sabbath f- uh, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. And for fear of the, uh, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So there you go. Uh, it's, it's funny. We just today had a, uh, an Easter plan. I was meeting. just thinking the same yeah. thing. <laughs> so it's like, we're talking through it. And it's like all of like the logistics of like, you know, what time are we going to have gatherings and like, kind of like th- those sort of things. But um, it is great to remember that we're entering into a season as 
Christians of mm-hmm. remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. And some of that is very somber and remembering yeah. the crucifixion, um, the ugliness of what had to transpire because of our sin. And then it's also joy yeah. in remembering the resurrection and, and, and Lent. Comes out of that. When do, when, okay, here's a question because my wife and I were wrestling through this last week, last yeah. night. When does Lent start? Wednesday, last Wednesday. This last Wednesday. So, so it's 46 ago. days or yesterday. away from Easter. Yeah, so it's 40... It's 40 days, not counting Sundays, Sundays okay. or weekends. One of the two. I think Sundays. Okay. okay. But yeah. Cause we Sorry, are... that, it's a dumb question, but at, at the same time, like it's also an interesting, cause we didn't plan this to talk about Lent, you know, and, or talk about this during Lent intentionally, but it is one of those things because even as you're reading, it's hard for me to think that we're already coming to Easter weekend. Like right. it's, we're weeks away from it, six weeks away from it or whatever, when we're recording this. And it's, it's, it's a powerfully sad story um, that brings us to a point of celebration that I think in his resurrection, but uh, the story of Jesus is, is so significant, but yeah. yeah, So it's just funny. You were thinking, I was just thinking like, man, it's weird that we just talked about Easter and now we're reading this death and resurrection and just, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of weird. I also think it's not weird that like as, as modern evangelicals, I think we've, we've, um, We've lost a little bit of the ability to to stay inside of the uh, the somber moments before celebration, if that makes sense. Because yeah. we really don't celebrate Lent. Um, the only reason I knew it started on Wednesday is because we have uh, uh, friends who hail from uh, the United Kingdom and they celebrate Pancake Tuesday, which is the day before. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Fat Tuesday. Yeah, or Fat Tuesday as it's called here. But so we, we do that every year. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where I think this idea of taking moments to really not just feel the joy of Easter, but to feel the, um, the depression. Yeah. The pain pain of the death of Christ. And the the same thing with Christmas, right? To not just feel the joy of the birth of Christ, but to really enter into that longing for a Messiah, that Mm -hmm. longing for a savior that Advent is about. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's one of, it's one of the bummers. But But I also think, I mean, just to be honest, I think it's hard to do that. I think just like any movie, that you've you've seen more than once that has a tragic piece to a you know triumphant piece, you know the triumphant piece is coming, so it's a lot easier right. to anticipate, and it's easy to get through the difficulty. And I think there is some illusion to that. I think there is some purpose to that. Where I think, as Christians today, we we can only do our best to sympathize with the darkness of Good Friday, right, and Jesus's death, and only sympathize with, that's a bad, wrong word to use, but it only connect to the joy and celebration of the resurrection. Because at the end of the day, we know like what's going to happen. We have a better picture. And even, I mean, Jesus even alludes to it in, in saying like, blessed are those who, you know, what he says, in essence, like you, you, they have not seen, but they still have faith. That's the season. That's the place we're in. Um, and so I think it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we'll ever get to a point where we can accurately walk into Good Friday and Easter weekend right. with the full experience of what it really entails. But we have to take a posture of faith in the midst of that and trying to connect with the depth and depression and darkness and sorrow the disciples felt like that's hard. and. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily we as Christians are bad at that. I just think it's, it's indicative of. Well, I think my comment was more about, we don't really try, if that makes sense. I think Good Friday. But I think it's hard to try though. Yeah. I think that's part of it. It's it's hard to try when you know the end. 
I mean, I think what Ryan spoke a few weeks ago or whatever, I guess a month or so ago, and he talked about the idea of like being, and maybe it was Nick speaking, but it was the idea of like the Seahawks game. Seahawks is big around Northwest. Um, if you're a Seahawks fan, you're listening, you're not from the Northwest. God bless you. I could care less about the Hawks because I'm a Cowboys fan. But uh, so all my listeners in Texas, thank you. Um, but the crazy thing is, uh, for clarity, so Aaron's from Virginia. Yeah, but for clarity. But I still love the Cowboys. Uh, so if you're listening to Texas, our prayers are for you and with you in the midst of everything you're facing. So uh, with power outage. But I think it's important to understand, like, it, it, when you know the end, you don't you don't pay as much attention to the grief. Sure. And and it's a bad analogy for sports, but I think when you know the end, the grief is is not as impactful or meaningful. The sorrow is not as powerful because you know the victory. And so I think that's part of it. I think we're bad at it, but I don't – and, yeah, I think we should mentally practice better. But anyways, we don't have to go on the rabbit trail anymore, but I just think it's really – it's challenging for sure. Right. Well, and then Matthew ends with a uh... – a final declaration, uh, the ending verses of Matthew in 28, 16 through 20 say this. Uh, now the 11 disciples, Judas, you'll notice is missing, uh, went to Galilee. <laughs> or to is the, it Andrew? No, just kidding. It's Judas. <laughs> they left Andrew out again. Uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Thanks, Thomas. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Question. Does Jesus ever make that statement before this? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him? That's a great question. And I don't think it is. And, <clears throat> and sorry. Okay. But it's interesting because I think that's also another powerful statement because Jesus and I and I can't I don't have the the memory or the the smarts to under, to to always remember this but that's a powerful statement for Jesus to stand before his closest followers and make that statement because he has now accomplished everything God set out for him. He did what no other human can do in accomplishing triumph over death and sin. Uh and so when Jesus saying all authority in heaven yeah, Matthew and Matthew 28 is the first time we see that. So all like when he says that all of heaven and all authority has been given to me. Like he is now again, identifying himself on the same standard and platform as God. Like he, he then is elevated to that stat, the stature, which is where he descended from to begin with. Um, and so that sentence is a big deal. And because of the authority he's called, that's where his call for, to his disciples, that's where his call to you and I as Christians are. So it's just, it's, it's definitely an interesting statement that I think is easy to pass over. No, that's a great point. And then just, it gives us a really good idea of what is our, um, what is our role as Christians now? Mm -hmm. And it is to go and make disciples. Yep. Um, that is, that's it. <laughs> it's it, whether it's, um, and I, I forgot where I read this, but the, uh, um, a really better translation of the word go is the phrase as you go. Um, and so basically this mm -hmm. idea of it's not necessarily like everyone is called to pick go. up and leave. Yeah, exactly. But it's in your lives, make disciples. Yeah. If you feel the call of God or the push of God to go far, then go far and make disciples. Um, if that's not what you feel that God is calling you to do, then stay where you are and make disciples. But no matter where you are or what you're doing, make disciples. I love that picture better than go. So there you go. Because I feel the challenge. I felt the challenge forever. And I actually have never heard that either. But to to just as I go, as I move forward in my life, 
to have the mentality and the purpose to, to make disciples, to love people, to care well, to teach them about Jesus as I'm learning and growing. I think that's a, that's a powerful picture. So, yeah. Well, on that note, that's going to wrap it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, a couple things you could do for us before uh, you sign off here is leave us a five-star review. It just helps get that. Uh, get the podcast out there to more people. Uh, and this podca- if this podcast has been a blessing to you, uh, please consider supporting the ministry that we do here at the Grove Church. Uh, you can do that by going to our website, grove.church, and there's a gift button. Uh, you certainly don't have to, but we, uh, we'd also be thankful if you did. Um, and then finally, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website at grove.church. Have a great day, guys. And gals.